Hey cool. everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here with Max Barrick. Uh, he's partner at Favaro Gorman. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, Steve. I appreciate it. It's <laughs> yeah. good to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. The reason that I wanted to have you on is because you have something that's a lot different than what I normally talk about. Sure. I mean, we talk to uh, small business owners primarily, mm-hmm. but uh, what I really wanted to make this podcast about is just interesting conversation, helpful things that people can actually learn from. Sure. Um, so if you can, tell everybody a little bit about what you do. So I call myself a civil rights employment lawyer. I do employment law. So what that means is really any law that's any workplace dispute that would require a lawyer in some way, shape, or form, I'm getting involved in. So, and I I say run of the mill, but, you know, we do sexual and racial harassment, so all the Me Too stuff that's come out, we handle those sorts of cases. And we're on the side of workers. Um, We will will represent businesses, but uh, mostly workers. So uh, sexual, racial harassment, and discrimination. Uh, whistleblower types case type of cases, so you know that's in the Very news a lot right now. Yeah, uh, unpaid wages, unpaid overtime wages, that sort of thing. Helping people negotiate severance. Maybe your job is going sideways; it's not working out for both parties, or they're changing direction, and we help people get a nice package for that if we can. Yeah. Um, unemployment benefits, really anything that's going to come up in the workplace. Yeah, and uh, you know the pre pre show call that we did, yeah. we kind of dove deep in a lot of these different topics and. Sure. Uh, like I was telling you when we were on the phone, I mean, we could do hours. <laughs> each, each different thing that you just mentioned, there's hours worth of conversation to have. Um, right. And uh, uh, I wish we had that amount of time, but <laughs> uh, I don't know if they'll hold through for all those hours. But uh, so, I mean, touching on the main points of what you do, I mean, sure. employment law, workplace things, sexual harassment claims, yeah. all that type of stuff. Um, these are very, very touchy topics. Sure. And... Um, I guess I think people don't really realize uh, I guess I guess with with what you do people don't realize that there's a person like you until they don't know what to do right you know like uh, you're lost or you know because you rep, rep represent the actual victim primarily right. right normally yeah so how does that process work where uh, how does somebody find you I mean I guess w- when something bad happens to somebody in their workplace, how does how does how, how does it kind of get to your desk? Can you walk us through that process? A lot of different ways. I mean, sometimes it, it happens one of a bunch of different ways. One yeah. of the easiest is somebody doesn't know what to do and they just start Googling around for a type of lawyer. And, mm-hmm. you know, based on how the different Internet algorithms work, they hit the right buttons, they hit the right key search terms, and my right. name comes up. So that's one way. Um, most of what I do, though, usually comes in indirectly. So I've, somebody's been referred to me some way. Right. Um, sometimes it's just another professional, hey, this thing happened, do you know anybody? But a lot of the time it's the only other lawyer they know in their life. So somebody who did their will for them, um, if they you know, kind of screwed up and got a DUI and they go yeah. to their DUI lawyer, I don't know anybody else, can you handle this? If not, do you know somebody who does? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they've had you know, like a, a personal injury problem in the past, they were rear-ended or something happened and they go to their personal injury lawyer, hey, do you know, can you work on this for me? Right. Um, maybe it's the person who did their real estate closing, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, usually it's coming from another attorney, like that would be the other source of it. Or just a family friend, you know? Yeah. I mean, so by the time it gets to you, people, sure. people kind of realize that something serious happened. Uh, is that the case? or Sometimes. 
Um, yeah. Sometimes people come to me earlier on in the process and they say, hey, you know, this is going on at work. Yeah. I don't really feel right about this. Do you have a sense of what direction this might be going or what I should be doing? Sometimes it's after the fact. Like you said, I yeah. got fired. This thing happened to me. Um, I need help. How do I, what can I do? What are my options? Yeah. And what, what would be your, your answer for that? I mean, it really depends on the problem. Um, if it's, if it's like, you know, the nature of that, Hey, I lost my job. I was fired. Mm -hmm. Um, I start asking them a lot of questions. The first thing we talk about is Illinois employee, Illinois, like 49 out of 50 States is at will. So that means the general rule is they don't need a good reason to fire you. They can just sort of fire you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but it's a longer conversation. Tell me about what happened. When is the first time you found trouble? Um, you know, it depends on the kind of case we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, is it somebody who thinks they were fired in retaliation for something they said or did? Well, then I'm going to want to know how long ago did you say whatever you said or how long ago did you complain about something? Yeah. What's the time frame here? Yeah, just getting the facts, I guess, right? Knowing the client. Now, um, do you turn people down? Um, unfortunately, I have to turn a lot of people down. Um, one of the first things I tell people, you know, so when you say turn down, sometimes turning them down means, yeah, I can't file a lawsuit for you. Yeah. Sometimes people come to me not necessarily looking to, to do that. Just for advice. They're just trying to figure out what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, can you help me? Is there something I should be doing here? Uh, did I do something wrong? You know, but um, one of the first things I do tell people when they are coming to me to maybe represent them is, listen, um, one of the things that... I've learned in doing employment laws, there's a lot of things that are unfair, Yeah. but that doesn't necessarily make it illegal, or maybe it is illegal, but there's not something I can necessarily do about it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say the vast majority of people I can't always do something for. I try to give them some good guidelines and advice, and but often I have to send them on their way because there is a lot of unfairness, but it doesn't necessarily always mean there's something I can do about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, disagreements don't necessarily always end up in court. No, and they shouldn't. I mean, right. I think I think lawyers often get a bad name. You know, you think everybody's in a rush to kind of yeah. whack somebody for something. And mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes things just don't work out, too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's 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 interesting that you say, I mean, the majority uh, you, you, you kind of have to turn away. But at the same time, the ones that really hit, <clears throat> the ones that are really, really important, that must be. I mean, how many can you actually handle at one time? You know? That's a good question. Um, I would say at any given time, I've got somewhere between 20 and 30 or 40 cases. Not that I'm not all that are, you know, active. Some, you know, maybe it's five to 10 that I'm investigating and I'm looking Mm. into in some way. Uh, Maybe it's five to 10 that are in court and being litigated and I'm managing, I and others are managing them as they head towards a trial. And maybe five or 10 is, you know, we're trying we've taken the client on, we're trying to negotiate an outcome for them, maybe we're right. representing them. Um, they've filed what's called a charge of discrimination with one of the civil rights, um, the federal or state civil rights agencies, mm-hmm. um, and we're helping navigate that investigation process. So they're all at different points. Every right. case requires a different level of attention and energy. Um, and it's sort of, you know, you put out the biggest fires when they're out in front of you and you try to manage sure. everything else as it comes along. Sure. And so now what's the support structure look like for you? Because obviously you can't be in all these different places at once and keep things straight. So what is your, your process? Like, do you, do you have, um, for investigation, I guess was my first thought, how do you investigate these cases? Do you hire a PI or how does this all work? So investigate, 
means a lot of different things. In my pers- from my perspective, when I'm looking into or I'm evaluating and investigating a case, the first step would be meeting with the client. So they got to come to us, um, fill out an intake form, make sure we've given them, you know, the various warnings and um, explanations about statutes of limitations and what have you. Mm-hmm. And I try to take time with them to really get the ins and outs of their case. One of the things I ask people to do, if they can, and they're in a position to do so, before they meet with me, is try to put together some kind of timeline or chronology of events. Not a full essay. I don't, I don't you know, want to read War and Peace necessarily. But something that gives me bullet points of what happened here so I can get... Because, you know, what I explain to people is you've been living this every day for however long, but I'm coming to this fresh, and I want to make sure I get a good understanding of it. So a timeline helps me. Sure. So one of the things I'll do is that um, if there are... You know, if we're talking about a harassment case, for example, because that might be a good way to do it. Yeah. um, Talk about some specifics. I'll want to know if there are some witnesses. Now, if they don't work at the company anymore, I'm I'm in a much better position to to talk to them. Um... So I'll ask them to put me in touch with them, usually to make an introduction, because people tend to be freaked out when somebody calls them up from a number they don't know and say, hi, I'm a lawyer. Will you talk to me about that, this? That was, that was one question. <laughs> so, so yes, of course. And now it, a lot of these situations, you are going to be speaking to people that do work at the company still. So how does that work? Uh, I mean, isn't there there's protections in place for that where people actually can't talk about it, right? So it depends on the situation. Every different employee is classified differently in the company. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody who's a supervisor or manager, I'm probably not even going to bother trying to talk to them because um, now before the company has a lawyer, before we're involved in something, Mm -hmm. I can talk to the low-level employees who still work there. And I don't mean like they're low-level, just, you know, not answering, you know, that they're not... Management roles. Yeah. Yeah. But what I have to warn them about is that this is not going to be confidential. So what my client and I talk about is protected by the attorney-client privilege, but what I talk to a witness about isn't. And so one of the things I have to warn witnesses about is that this is eventually maybe going to get back to somebody. So you need to be prepared that there may be consequences. Now, in a harassment or discrimination context, it's illegal to punish somebody for talking to me about that, for participating in investigation. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Yeah, right. They can just make up anything, right? Yeah, and, and what I'll tell you is... Well, they can make it up. I mean, there could be consequences to it, but it's hard. I mean, nobody wants... Then they got to go get a lawyer or somebody yeah, like me. Yeah. And what I'll tell you is um, one of the tough things for clients is, particularly in those discrimination cases, I, I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, I got like eight witnesses to what happened. They're friendly with me. They want to do the right thing. They're going to back yeah. me up. And unfortunately, what they find out is that these people don't want to lose their job. And yeah. a lot of people don't want trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I, I mean... With, with anything, you, there's always a culture fighting back against talking about things that happen and bringing stuff up and making waves. Right. Um, so you've got to be fighting against it a lot. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you got into law. I mean, we were talking about you, you kind of coming up, and uh, you had a pretty interesting story about, you know, generally people don't just jump into one thing right away, but you had a passion for this type of work. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into what you're doing now? Sure. So when I was in high school, um, I was involved in some social activism, like a Save Darfur club at, uh, mm-hmm. at I'm from Glenview, so Glenbrook South High School. Um, you know, and I, I went to undergrad thinking I would want to do something that helped people in some way, something social justice oriented when I grew up. Mm-hmm. But who knows what that means when you're 18 years old, you think you can kind of save the world and right. get paid for it. Right. Um, so when I was an undergrad, you know, my summer jobs were like waiting tables at first. Um, and we had a neighbor who was a judge and I kind of went to him just for some advice, like what, you know, what can I do? 
And the next thing you know, he was kind enough to include me as an intern of his for the summer with all the law students. Wow. And that was great. I didn't get to do really any of the legal work because I didn't have the training yet. But I got to see them and I got to see them in action and see what they were doing. And I saw that I liked this. I liked the idea of being on my feet and being in a courtroom. And I knew I had this social justice bent that I wanted to do with that. So it kind of gave me an avenue, you know, save the world, whatever, to kind of go in that direction and earn a living doing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's really just people, places, and things, right? Um, I mean, it's it's you're always one step away from you know meeting somebody that'll change your life. You just never know where this stuff's going to come from. You never yeah. know where that next client, that next opportunity is going to come from. And it, yeah. it just shows, I think, you've always got to be kind of on your toe. Not like you always got to be on, but you really want to be paying attention because you never know yeah. how you're going to impact people who's going to think well of you enough to say, hey, let me give you this option. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and I find that it's when you're really, really seeking things out, it doesn't always come as, as natural. I mean, but uh, I don't know if you guys can hear, but there's a, a Bears, Bears, <laughs> uh, Packers game right now. Obviously, there's something happening pretty big right now. We can't see that, but um, but the bar just went crazy. Yeah, the bar went crazy, <laughs> and we are at Reps Place in Rolling Meadows, guys. So um, if you're in the area, definitely come and say hi uh, to the the friendly staff here. Um, but uh, back to what we were talking about. Yeah. Um, so, like I was saying, I mean, it's 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 very strange that you you knew that you wanted to get involved in something. You happen to have this neighbor that put gave you this amazing opportunity. It was incredible. I mean, you weren't even in law school or anything. No, he'd had some college kids before, but yeah. um, I was lucky, and he ended up retiring not long after. So it, it really. Yeah, I, I'm lucky in life in that I lived in the right place at the right time and had mm-hmm. a neighbor who was a good guy and willing to give some kid an opportunity to kind of see if this was what his dream was going to be for him. Yeah, and now backing up a little bit, I mean, yeah. you said that it was social justice was something that is always important to you. You you know you you wanted to make a difference. What do you think uh, put instilled that into you? I mean, where where did that come from? Growing up. That's a good question. Um, you know, my parents were always really good about telling us to do the right thing and you make sure you help other people. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I was lucky, you know, in my upbringing and that I got to live in a good place and go to a good school. And my folks were always, um, it was important to them to remind us that, you know, we came from somewhere good, and, yeah. but other people don't. And it's your job to kind of, to, to stick up for others when they can't stick up for themselves. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's it stuck uh, with me. That's wise. Yeah. I mean, uh, People a lot of times forget that uh, there's much less fortunate people. They think it's, oh, it's just over their problem. It's not my problem. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. I've always kind of lived by the mantra of we're not here for that long. But if you can say with a straight face when you go to bed at night, you've done something to make somebody else's life better in some way, whatever that is, um, you're, you're doing it right. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're definitely in a position where you can make a very big difference for people. Without going into any real details, uh, you know, uh, just as far as you can, what have been some of the biggest differences you feel you've made in your career so far? Wow, that's a good question. Um, like just individual cases or? Whatever, whatever comes to mind, yeah. I mean, where, where do you feel like you got, you, what do you feel was the most re- rewarding part of what you've accomplished so far? I think, I think when we've come to the end of a case, 
hopefully in, a, in, in the good. You know, we've been able to settle it for them, or you've, I mean, theoretically, you go to a jury, but, you know, usually, you know, you come to the end, you've resolved it, you've negotiated an outcome, yeah. and your client says, thank you. Um, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen because this is really personal and it doesn't always work out your way. Sure. But I have to tell you, somebody who comes to you, you know, in tears or in a really tough spot, in a really bad work situation or just lost their job and is really hanging by a thread, you know, relying on family, doing whatever to make ends meet. Yeah. Knowing what's been rewarding is, you know, the first couple of cases I worked on were a couple of women who were victims, victims of some pretty bad sex harassment. Mm. Knowing that we were able to get them out of a really bad job, um, yeah. get them some financial compensation to maybe get some therapy, get back on their feet, get their families well situated and just move on with their lives put themselves back in a better situation, mm-hmm. that felt good. And that always feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a thank you always helps. And it's sure. nice to know that yeah. you've helped somebody enough where they're happy with, they're happy and they're better than when you found them. Yeah, well, I think that's, uh, that, that goes for a lot of things. You know, if you can leave things better than when you, the way you found them, then, then you're making, you are making a difference. So that's, sure. that's great. And um, so, I mean, if... If you could um, specialize in one particular thing, I mean, I know that you're kind of specialized already with employment, but if you could have just one type of client walk through the door every day, what would that client be? It's a really good question. Um, I do like a lot of what I do. Um, I have to tell you, the first job I ever had was doing these hostile work environment, sex, and race harassment cases. They're hard cases. That's heavy be- duty right there. Oh, boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> Man. Well, they're hard because, yeah, they can be upsetting and um, it's hard to prove intent. So like usually you got to prove that the employer knew what they were doing and Mm -hmm. it's hard to get people to admit that they or prove if somebody's denying it that they did something for a certain reason. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine. But they're challenging cases. I like them. Um, They're interesting and they can be some of the most difficult and just painful to work through. But I find them rewarding for that same reason. So I would say the harassment stuff, um, if I had to do just one, um, that that would be good. That would be okay. the kind I would pick. And then on the other on the other end of it, I mean, there has to be some sort of just grueling, boring paperwork <laughs> cases. What uh, I guess I don't know if you even want to answer that, but uh, <laughs> uh, have you is would you say the majority of your work is interesting, or would you say the majority of it is in between time getting to the interesting? Listen, I think any day, even your dream job is going to have stuff that. Yeah. Even the dream job, you still got to sign the checks at the end of the day, right? Or something like that. <laughs> sure. So there's always going to be some form of monotony. Yeah. Listen, I, the first thing I ever did at my first job was what's called doc review, which is sort of like bottom of the barrel, first year lawyers, yeah. like that's what they stick you with. And it's what it sounds like. You're looking through documents. Mm-hmm. I think for some people that would be really boring. Yeah. Um, I liked it because okay. as a first year lawyer, it made me indispensable to that case. It meant there was a reason for them to talk to me about it because I was the only sure. one who knew where all the papers were. Yeah. Um, it, it, it can be boring. There are times where sifting through thousands of pages of documents is like a horrific like punishment. It's like, man, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> but on the other hand, it helps you learn about the case. It helps you get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going on. And you sometimes you find like every once in a while you find that smoking gun you're looking for that tells you, you know what? I got it. I got them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that stuff can be boring. It's not your favorite. Sifting through papers can be a lot. Sure. But uh, if you know how to do it right, you, you plan well, um, it can be useful. Yeah. Uh, there's always, there's always like, I mean, you nailed it. There's always monotony in everything that you do. But uh, I guess it is, it is worth it if you 
are actually making a difference. You're not just sure. making widgets, you know. <laughs> uh, but somebody's got to make widgets. That's you know? true. There is a need. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's a there's a perfect fit for everybody. It's just a matter of finding it, and some people don't. But I, I think. Listen, I think one of the things I see is that there, because I deal with workers all day, is yeah. that I'm dealing with a lot of people who don't get to do a job they like or they don't. Very true. Um, yeah. So I, I consider myself very lucky. And uh, that, that's a, a great uh, lead into the question that I had. Uh, and we, we talked about this when we were on the phone. Um, emotional attachment to cases and clients um, has to come into play because you're human, you know? Of course. Uh, can you walk us through some of the instances of maybe where you felt like you got too attached or maybe should have been more attached? Is there anything that you can kind of... Uh... Yeah. Oh, uh, at my first job... We had a case, um, and I, I won't give specifics for, for sure. obvious reasons, yeah, but sure. um, we had a case of, of a type of harassment that sounded really horrific, and the client, mm. you know, would cry into the phone. I mean, like, this was some really serious stuff, and it was early in my career, and yeah. you're learning, and I was assigned to the case, and I spent hours with this person on the phone talking to them about what happened to them, supposedly, and I got to tell you, like, it was really moving. You heard some really horrific racist stuff that yeah. supposedly had happened to this person, and what what came over time was that um, the story started to kind of spiral and stuff started to kind of make less and less sense. Mm. It was harder to track down witnesses. Like you'd talk to a witness and then you'd kind of lose track of them and you could never find them again. And stuff sure. started to not really add up. And finally we kind of came to the conclusion, you know what, we really don't think this happened the way this person said. And um, we ended up withdrawing. How does that conversation work? I mean, when in, you, when in you, our firm, well, I guess, so there's two parts of that conversation. There's your internal conversation with probably your partners or your team saying, hey, this probably isn't real. But then when you come to that, how do you break the news to your potential client? So in that case, internally, the way the conversation went was, you know, we're always talking about the cases. So you're mm -hmm. never, I mean, when you're in a firm like that, you, you shouldn't anyway be going it alone. Everybody should be collaborating and working together because... Sure. Yeah. Listen, I don't care how good a lawyer or anything you are. Like, you need a team. You need people to bounce mm -hmm. things off of. Yeah. Just, we're all going to miss stuff. We're all human, and it helps to have some some support. Very Particularly true. when, as I was at the time, I was you know like a first year lawyer. Sure. Yeah. Um. So it started from above. It was my partners that I was answering to saying, you know what, something's not adding up here, and me kind of finally having to stop ignoring that and you were ignoring a lot of red flags i don't know if ignoring was the right word i was kind of internally explaining it away and defending this client and okay. it took them saying listen you're you're really very involved in this and okay. that's good you're a zealous advocate if there's one thing i've been guilty of particularly early on was like you get so attached you feel like yeah yeah this is it i've been training my whole life for this i'm going to change the world with this case and it's yeah. like slow down pump the brakes yeah sure sure yeah. um listen something's not adding up here and i think you know that let's step back look at this and see what's happening here and you, you realize something wasn't adding up and uh and so then we come to the conclusion you know what we gotta we gotta get out yeah. now we were lucky we hadn't filed a lawsuit yet we hadn't really done anything other than get ready basically to launch our our our, our advocacy on this client's sure uh, so we sent him a letter. It was, you send the client a letter saying, you know, we didn't really go into, we think you're not being truthful. We don't think this happened. There's just no What's upside. What's that going to, right. Yeah. There, there's nothing to be gained. Mm -hmm. um, so we just said, you know what, in light of certain developments recently, unfortunately, we're going to have to withdraw. And the client called me up and, you know, was frustrated and kept swearing up and down that this happened. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, I got to tell you, I lost a lot of hours. I mean, my wife, I couldn't tell her why exactly, other than, you know, I had this case. Mm -hmm. We were attached. We had to get out. And and I wonder if I did the right thing here. And I lost a lot of sleep over it uh, at that time. So I um, can imagine, yeah. I still get involved, you know, uh, in cases, if only because it's important to kind of sit in your client's shoes. Because even when you have to give them bad news they don't want to hear, it's important that you have, you can feel, you can understand where they're coming from. Yeah. So you understand why they're reacting emotionally in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I lost a lot of sleep over that. So I, I, I do still try to sit in my client's shoes. I do sometimes still get probably more emotionally attached to the case than I ought. But um, that taught me, you know, you, you have to remove yourself sometimes. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're not going to be able to see the stuff that's wrong with the case or the problems the case may have. Sure. And sometimes your job calls for you to have some harsh conversations with your client. But if you can't remove yourself from how you feel about it, you're not going to be able to see when that happens. Yeah, that's it, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, you have to... Sometimes you have blinders on, you know, and, and you don't we see all, all the facts, you know, because we are human. Um, now, you said that you lost some sleep, and uh, I'm sure uh, <laughs> maybe maybe got some gray hairs a little bit. But um, <laughs> has this uh, has this work when you hear a, a pretty rough story? When you um, you know are at work for I don't even what twelve hours or whatever <laughs> a day probably um, does this? How do you separate it from your personal life? How, does it does it bleed in? I mean, does it does it weigh you down emotionally? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, as a person, I'm really bad at turning my brain off. (laughs) I I have a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, And one of the things I've had to learn to do is, like, when you walk in the door at home at night, um, I try to finish my workday when I can when I'm at work, or if I go home and I'm finishing, I try to have one whatever. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go work for more hours. It's like, I'm going to finish whatever thing I got to finish today. And then I just got to agree to shut the computer sure. and not look at it anymore. Um, how's yeah. That, how's that working out? Uh, depends on the day. Ask my <laughs> wife. Uh, some days good. Some days, mm-hmm. you know, um, some days she's got to remind me like, Max, it's, it's seven thirty at night. I've been yeah. hearing you, you know, go on about this for a while. It's time to, it's time to talk about something else. Well, you know, that's, uh, it's important though. I mean, you have that, how long have you been married? Uh, three and a half years now, almost. Well, so, I mean, uh, you, it's really important that you have that support structure at home, you know? Um, I don't, I guess I don't know, uh, do you, has this affected your relationship? A lot of work? A lot of work? At times, um, I think, I'm very lucky that I do have somebody, my wife Debbie and I um, yeah. have been together three and a half years, but we've known each other. We've been together in some capacity since we were in college 10 years. Oh, great. So she went through the whole law. She would tell you, um, she's funny, like she'll tell you, like I feel like I went to law school too. That's that's what I was getting. You, you <laughs> threw me for a loop when you said three years because it seems like you've been, I assumed you've been together for a long time. We've kind of grown up together. We've been together a decade basically. So Yeah, that um, is a long time. She, uh, she went through law school with me. She was there for me with it. Like I was lucky she was with me the whole time when yeah. things were good, when it was like, oh my God, this is really hard. Like I don't know if I'm doing well enough. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm going to do this. Like for her to be like, listen, you've like, this has been your whole life building to this. Like you're not, you, you have to stick with it. You got to just kind of buck up, get through it. Like yeah. keep working. Um, but that's also been good. Cause she's been with me so long. She knows this isn't new. Yeah. Like 
if it wasn't, okay, these are really hard cases that stick with me or the workload or just there's always so much to do. It's like, listen, you were like this when you had too much to read in law school or when you had this or that. Like, it's always going to be something and you got to you gotta just accept that you're not going to do everything all at yeah, once. And yeah. sometimes you got to be okay to turn it off, walk away and know you're, you need a good night's rest. You need to go do something for yourself. Sure, sure, yeah. Very, I mean, very important that, uh, that you, you know, you have somebody that, that kind of knows your level of I can take it or I can't take it or knows when it's time for you to probably, you know, hang it up for the night. Um, so that's, that's really, that's, uh, I, I love to hear that. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that, that helps a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for you with that. Um, now, one of the things that we talked about and we just kind of touched on a little bit is fake problem fake uh, claims you know people making things up besides the story that you just mentioned can you tell us a little bit of how that works and how you guys spot that stuff i think so here's what i would tell you i think these are not black and white problems um it's important to see things from both sides because i don't know how the old adage goes but there's something to the effect of like there's three versions of every story your version my version and then what really happened yeah right and i think that's important because Sometimes both sides can have a partially true story, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, What I find is I will often have clients who've been victims of something bad that's happened to them at work. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody is stiffing them on something they're owed, or somebody is being inappropriate with them in the workplace. Also, they're not a perfect employee, and they're doing things that are not helpful either. Um, But... To your point, I I think the things that we look for, and not necessarily to tell if somebody's lying, but just to tell, is there anything, are we going to be able to prove that this happened or that it was more likely than not that this happened? Sure. And I'm going to look for contemporaneous complaints. So in other words, if it's, I just keep going back to the harassment examples because that's my bread and butter. Sure. But um, did you complain about it or did you tell somebody when it was happening or did you keep a log? Is there something you did that would show me that it's likely that this was going on. Did your demeanor start to change when you started working at this place? Mm. Even if you weren't telling people why, because you were ashamed, you were afraid. Yeah. Is there somebody in your life that can back up that, yeah, you were a really happy-go-lucky person, and then you started working for this boss, and you never told me what it was, but something changed about you, and you started taking your home work home with you, or you just sure. you started being real anxious or something like that? Um, that's stuff I'm going to look for. Um, you know... I'm not when I meet with somebody I'm not going into it looking to catch them in a lie or something yeah I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt if the story sounds too fantastic then yeah I'm gonna start to question it um, you know it, it's hard I mean doctors can't always catch somebody who's telling them fake information to yeah. get painkillers you can only go off what what you hear you know I mean for the most part you got to got to take the word for it at first there was one example um, a case uh, a couple of my partners and I worked on a couple years ago. It was a discrimination case. Somebody worked at a type of business. Um, that person said I was not hired because of my, we'll say, gender. Yeah. Um, I heard the person say it on the phone. Um, we got ready to file a charge of discrimination with one of the different agencies. We sent a letter to the employer. Mm-hmm. And the employer called us up and said, listen, I understand you hear this stuff from employers a lot, that this is being made up and it's a conspiracy. But I got to tell you, we got no record of this person ever applying here. Oh, wow. We've got no nothing. The one thing I can tell you is this potential witness has an ax to grind with us. Um, you know, this person's saying they did it electronically. You can go ahead and make this demand. You can file the claim. You can go forward. I got to tell you, there's nothing here. Please investigate A, B, and C sure. pieces of evidence that we're giving you. Um, you know, 
in that case, yeah, we've got something to go on. I'm not going to just take the word of somebody calling yeah. my client a liar because it happens. Mm-hmm. Once out of every thousand, somebody will make something up. But I try to believe people because for every one like that, there's a hundred who, even if I can't help them, something bad did happen to them. Wow. Yeah. That that has to be. That that you know. I mean, it, whenever you're working with variables outside of your yourself you know i mean there's a lot of jobs where okay this is your job if you know what you're doing you do it well then you should be able to accomplish something every time right um your job is not like that at all uh you're dependent on other people's stories what you can determine and prove um and uh, a lot of hearsay you know so uh that uh, that has to be frustrating. I mean, I don't want to beat the dead horse, uh, you know, about how you deal with it. I don't know if I could uh, deal with what you do um, now. There's some challenging days. Well, sure. So that that's what I wanted to get to was you know like throughout the years and, and going through this stuff. I mean, did you ever question if you got into the right career path or not? I mean, did you ever feel like maybe? maybe you wanted to give up? Was there ever any doubt that this was the right thing for you? I, I didn't want to give up, but I mean, I there was a period, so after I left my first job, I was there about a year and a half. It was mm-hmm. a virtual law firm that did all civil rights cases. Sure. Um, I'm still on very good terms with them. They're very good lawyers. We're, you know, we send business back and forth, but mm-hmm. um, it was hard not like seeing other, you know, I said virtual, so I was working out of my apartment, sure. um, keeping weird hours, and yeah, it was hard, and I left without maybe having a great plan of how I was going to get into employment law mm. locally. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I hadn't thought out the next move well enough, um, and there were some lean times. I was working with a family member, helping him wind down a criminal practice. Um, or, or work on it, and things had slowed down because he had been sick, and yeah, things were slow. I, you know, for a period of time, I was actually waiting tables at um, a local restaurant I'd worked at, you know, summers in college um, and law school because things were slow work-wise, yeah. and I needed to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there were times where I was, you know, lawyering by day and then going to, you know, pull some bar shifts at night, and I got to tell you, I was kind of thinking, like, this is not how I pictured it. Am I really, yeah. am I doing something wrong here? Um, and then, you know, you get through it and, and it worked out and I'm glad, um, I think in a way that I went through that stuff cause it forces you to really, um, consider whether you got to really love something to kind of pull another shift, you yeah. know, to, to work that second job, to make that first job work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that was probably the time that, and that first case I had that I described for you where the client, um, was dishonest and you spend so much time believing them and yeah. pouring your heart into Draining. it. Draining. Yeah, so it's emotionally draining to hear those tough stories, and then it's mm-hmm. like a sucker punch to hear that they weren't true and that you yeah. your judgment was so wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say those were two moments that were real hard for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and well, I, I guess you're still doing it, uh, yeah. so so it must have worked out. Now, I mean, uh, outlook if you if you were to um, put uh, if you could do anything else, if you could down the road ten years from now, would you? Do you see yourself doing exactly the same thing, or what, what's the outlook? Where are you going from here? It's a good question. Um, I'd like to be. I mean, it's always these things are always going to change, and what mm-hmm. what what this is, what I'm doing now, may not look the same in ten years. I mean, the way the laws, mm-hmm. you know, these the interesting thing about law relative to a lot of other areas is it's always changing. Mm-hmm. Um, people write new. Listen, the state of Illinois passed a bunch of employment laws that are going to take effect January 1st that are going to change some of this stuff. I want to talk about that too, yeah. Um, 
I would like to keep doing employment law. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be better at it then. I think I'm pretty good now. I'd, I'd like to think I'm good, sure. but yeah. I, you always want to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to you know, keep honing new strategies for doing it, but I'd like to think that in 10 years I'm, I'm still doing this stuff. You know, and, and this is another thing that we bring up uh, every now and then, and you know, people talk about uh, the rise of, I guess, AI. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of advancements in law in particular that will be taken over by, uh, you know, artificial, I guess, you plug the law in it and it knows. Right. I mean, it, it saves a lot of hours. Now, do you think that it'll get to a point where law as we know it is not a human-based thing anymore? How does that work? Have you put any thought into that at all? Uh, I guess I should start. Um, <laughs> I hope not. I mean, listen, that stuff's already changing as is. Like, yeah. they're, you know, whether it's outsourcing it, like things that they used to have at these big law firms, the young associates do now get sent overseas, some forms of doc review. Sure, yeah. Um, I think some doc review stuff is done automatically now. Yeah. Um, some of what we do, I'd like to hope at least, can't be replaced. Yeah. Um, research is a way that it's changed a lot. Um, when mm-hmm. I was a first-year law student, they took us to the library to show us how to do book research for law because it's a little different than how you use library books elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But then they basically said, but also this doesn't really apply anymore as much. Mm-hmm. And now the search engines that we use as lawyers have become so advanced. In a lot of ways, they operate almost like Google. Like. You used to have to put in all these weird terms and connectors, yeah. which were like phrases for you put like a backslash next to a, a, I don't know, like a letter P to say you're looking for this term within this many paragraphs or this many words of this mm, other word. Yeah, sure, sure. And now it's like you can kind of throw in a term like Google to one of these Westlaw or Lexus, and it's like giving you the answer. It's crazy how much that stuff has changed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, see, the thing that I, I tend to uh, lean towards the fact that there's always going to be a place for the human element uh, because that's the game changer you know if everybody's using the same tools then you're not really it's not even a everybody's working with the same hand right you know well and also a lot of what we do requires a form of subjectivity that listen I don't there's a reason I'm an attorney and part of it is because it's what I wanted to do the other part is I'm not good at math and science (laughs) so so I'm not an engineer I don't know exactly how AI is going to work in all these but my gut is that there's an element of subjectivity to some of this stuff Mm -hmm. that as long as there are people working next to other people you're going to have conflicts arise and um like the wage and hour stuff that we do, yeah. you know, okay, some of that could be automated, but you still got to have a lawyer kind of pursue these things and kind of dig through what's officially happening and what's actually happening. You know, you, you actually brought up, okay, so the automation with the wage in particular, I mean, we, we could look at McDonald's for or fast food places sure. as an example. Uh, have you dealt with them removing those jobs because they can't pay the $15 or whatever it is? Uh, agree or disagree? Have you encountered that where they're replacing people with machines yet? Um, yes and no. Not not that people are getting let go because the wages are too high. But I mean, I've represented or we've represented people who whose job deals basically in a manufacturing setting with keeping the machines running. Mm. Um, there can be a lot of pressure on that, particularly at big companies where there's a lot riding on it. Yeah. You know, where a lot of these problems come up, at least on the unpaid overtime stuff, is you've got businesses that really can't afford to have time out. You know, yeah. they can't have sure. their machines down. Um, 
and they keep their engineers working pretty hard, mm. um, some tough hours. Um, and the wage and hour cases can be easier than the discrimination cases to prove because I don't have to prove intent. I've just got to show that there's a violation of the law. Mm-hmm. But the law can be really complicated on these things, and there are some subjective elements to knowing whether or not stuff's happening a certain way, if that makes sense. So in order for, for employers to keep the machine running and you know keep those people working at full capacity all the time, there, there have to be some things that you've encountered, some little hacks, some little some little sneaky things that they've tried to pull uh, to get around the law and skirt that system. Sure. Uh, how uh, can, can you, without telling people how to break the law, <laughs> can you kind of uh, uh, address that a little bit, you know, how, how, how that can be caught or how, how, how as an employee you can recognize when you, might, you may be taking, uh, being taken advantage of by an employer? Of course. So one of the areas that it'll happen a lot in wage and hour situations, so, and I'm not going to give everybody a first-year law lesson on what this all is because I don't sure. think that's why people are listening, but yeah. the general rule is you got to be paid for the 40 hours a week that you're working. Um, anything over that is time and a half. You're going to overtime. That's the general rule. Now, yeah. there are exceptions to that. Uh, different industries have exceptions to that. Like um, the restaurant industry is different. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But to get the tip credit, restaurants, there are certain basic markers they got to hit. They can't just say we're getting a tip credit, we're not playing, paying people. Mm. There are certain things you got to do, minimums. So one of the ways workers can know if they're being taken advantage of is you can just Google it. The Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor, um, has these fact sheets that basically okay. say, um, here's what the rule is in order for my employer to be allowed to do X, Y, or Z, because it's there for them. Um, so working lunches, for example, a lot of um, businesses may deduct the 30 minutes that you're getting off for lunch. They don't have to pay you for that time, but you got to be completely relieved of duties. So mm-hmm. one of the ways that we'll see it a lot of time is they're deducting for that time. The people are really still at their desk. You know, if you're yeah. a receptionist, it's like, well, you're not paid. You're on your lunch break, but you're not allowed to leave your desk. You must eat at your desk. You have to still continue to answer phones. And if something requires you to get up from your desk and drop what you're doing, we expect you to drop what you're doing, put your sandwich down, and go do whatever you got to do. You know, the next thing you know, it's 3 o'clock. You still haven't eaten that sandwich, and you right. never really got your break, but you weren't paid for that time. That's, that's one yeah. thing that might be an example. Mm. Yeah, uh, I've encountered things like that before. Sure. Um, you know, people kind of just, oh, well, you know, if you really cared, you would work extra. Right. You put in the extra effort, you know. Exactly. Um, and that comes up a lot, especially in sales. Yeah. Sales is a big one. I mean, I did sales for pretty much my whole career. So sure. um, straight commission and things like that, you know, sometimes you get a base or whatever, but you can work, you, you know, until you, you're dead. You know, you're right. falling asleep at your desk. You know? Right. Um, how does the law play into that? So sales, um, there are sales exemptions to the FLSA, mm-hmm. um, to the Fair Labor Standards Act, the law on that. So unfortunately for sales individuals, you know, that is one area where your pay structure can be commission driven and they mm-hmm. can make you work a lot of hours. Um, you know, one of the things you look to is, so the Department of Labor tests that I was talking about, there are different factors you're weighing, you know, mm-hmm. what percentage of your duties are dedicated to sales versus other things. Right. Um, that's the stuff you're looking at. Where I'll see a lot of problems for sales sales professionals is you're working all these hours, you're meeting these quotas, you're hitting these numbers, sure. and then you do too well and the company yanks the rug out from right, right out from under you. Yeah, that could happen too, yeah. And we see a lot of that where people have earned their commissions, they've earned their pay, and their company doesn't want to pay them anymore. Now, what's the remedy for that? How do you, how do you, 
I mean, that that's your your bag right there, right? Right. right. So, so I'm looking. There's a great law in Illinois called the Wage Payment and Collection Act, the Illinois Wage Payment and Collection Act. Mm-hmm. And the general rule is if there's an agreement for you to do some work and you to be paid for it, they got to pay you. And the nice thing about that law is it's got these state – now, we're talking a state law, not federal, but the state Department of Labor has – promulgated or put out regulations on that, particularly on commissions that say, and I'm not looking at them right now, so I'm not going to pretend to be reading you what it is, but it tells you exactly when a commission has to be paid, how frequently, um, when it's considered a commission, they can't just call it a bonus so they don't have to pay it to you. So what is that? What is that called again? The Wage Payment and Collection Act. It's a real good law. Uh, You can Google it. It's on the Department of Labor's website. You can access it. It's some il.gov website. But if you are concerned that you might not be getting paid properly, that would be a place to look. Hmm. Yeah, very very helpful. Um, I think a lot of people in in sales in particular uh, are there's a lot of bad actors in that yeah, industry. Yeah, unfortunately. You know? And uh, because, you know, I mean, that's you're dealing with people that are that are trying to sell constantly. Yeah. They're selling their staff. They're selling their customers. They're doing all that stuff. So got to hustle. Yeah, they're hustling. I hate to use that word, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's, that's what it is. I, I do want to say one thing. I don't want to I, – I do represent primarily workers, but I don't want to paint this broad brush that I have something against employers. No, you know, not at all. There's this gray area on a lot of this. I represent a lot of businesses, too, where mm-hmm. they may make a mistake. They're not trying to mispay somebody. They're not mm-hmm. trying to screw their workers. Can I say that? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're not trying to screw anybody. They're trying to run a business. They're not dishonest. Just they make a mistake. These laws are really complicated. There's a reason why I'm not rattling this Mm -hmm. stuff off verbatim off the top of my head because it's complex. Right, right. um, I think sometimes these things, these disputes come out of misunderstanding or people mean well but make a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah, And I think it's important for us as attorneys to kind of try to – not look at every listen there are some situations where i may go more scorched earth than how i approach this but sometimes that's not justified sometimes this yeah. is the simple matter of let's just get everybody whole and not make this more than it has to be yeah that that's uh that's a smart way to look at things definitely you know i mean it's not about bringing people down and and you know trying to uh, like you say go scorched earth uh, all the time sometimes people deserve it but uh, yes. A lot of times they don't, and they're also just trying yes. to feed their families and you know to run a business. And so that is a great segue into uh, some of the things that I wanted to cover sure. for the employer in particular, because, like you say, the law is ever changing. You know, so yes. in order to stay up to date and know that you're in compliance, it's uh, it's pretty tough, especially for a small business owner. You know, you right. don't know which way is up a lot of times. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned the uh, Workplace Transparency Act. Right. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. So it's a law that came up in the wake of the Me Too movement mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, Governor Pritzker signed it into law this past summer, um, I think in June. So it says a lot of different things, but it basically institutes some minimum education and transparency requirements for all employers in the state. Mm-hmm. So the education uh, requirement is basically as of January 1st, Come January 1st of 2020, yeah. every employer with at least one person working for them in the state is going to have a mandatory sex harassment education requirement. So the Department of Human Rights, one of the organizations that's tasked with investigating these things when they get complaints, um, they've been tasked with creating a program. Um, so there is going to be something available to people, or you can buy or create one of your own that hits certain minimum requirements. Um, but that's going to have to be done annually from here on out. So, okay, so... 
Let's elaborate a little bit on that. So the uh, sexual harassment training, that is paid for by the employer, uh, and it's just, is is that correct? Yeah, I I think it might, I I have to check. I'm pretty sure that what the IDHR is going to create is going to be free, so you can just get their materials and present them mm-hmm. um, but you are going to have yeah the employer is going to have to do that kind to of their like staff. putting putting together the literature for that making sure it's yes. available to the employees that's kind of what you have to do right so they're going to have to basically have this presentation available and it's going to need to be given annually whether it's that one or a different one that hits okay. those markers okay um, but you're going to have to do that for your staff every year well wow. and that's going into effect on january 1st correct so that obligation You'll have to have satisfied it by January first of twenty twenty one. Okay, so you have so you all have of next calendar year, year yeah, sure. to get it done, but it's got to be done by December thirty first of next year. Now, have you have you looked into that uh, deeply yet? I mean, it's it's new. Uh, so I haven't seen what they've put out yet, or if uh-huh. it's even out yet. But um, I know there are certain minimum requirements they're going to have to hit with it, like what constitutes sexual harassment. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Stray remarks, or what does it look like? Yeah. Um, another one of the requirements is going to have to be. So one of your first questions is to me today was, how does this person get to you? How do they even know to do it? Right. Well, one of the things that's going to have to be covered is, or one of the topics is. What are my remedies? If somebody does harass me in the workplace, what am I supposed to do? Where do I right. go? What 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 right. rights do I have? So that's going to have to be there. So so just mm-hmm. like those OSHA pictures and all those minimum you know workplace safety posters that employers sure. have to put up. Sure. Um, think of it like that, basically moving forward. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it's it makes sense. Right. I mean, it makes sense to to have those those things in place and. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have you on. It's perfect timing because that's sure. going to go into effect right away. So of uh, pr- pretty soon here. So um, as far as, uh, you know, before we kind of like jump out of the, 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 the sexual harassment stuff, since we, since we brought it up, what, what is sexual harassment? How do you define that in the workplace? I mean, what, I guess everybody knows what sexual harassment is, but when you're just barely there, yeah. What is that? So it's a good question. The cases, so, you know, there are laws in place, Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act, some people have heard of that, basically says you can't discriminate against someone on the basis of their, their sex or gender. Um, mm-hmm. The way that that can play out at work, one of the ways is harassment. So the cases, the judges basically who've made decisions that interpret that law say specifically, we're not talking about stray or loose remarks. Okay. So and that we're not here to police the workplace in that way. Right, so okay. one comment here or there, it can be inappropriate, and sure. I suppose if it's bad enough, it can raise to that level. But we're not talking somebody makes a joke once and never again. And there's, But there's a difference, too, between what can get you fired because it's against the company policy right. and what can get you locked up or fined or whatever. Or Correct. Whatever. What gets you sued versus yes. you said something inappropriate to somebody you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. The company may take it more seriously, and that's good in a way that they're sure. taking it seriously. But but what we're talking about is remarks about somebody's sex or gender. So some of it's what you would think about, you know, the boss says something about the skirt you're wearing or the pants you're wearing, whichever way it's going, you know, sure. or the way you look. Right. Or they put their hands on you in a way that you don't like in, mm-hmm. a, in a sexual way. Sure. Um, or it can sometimes be not even that, and you're more like they're using the B word, for example, to describe women, or they're talking about um, 
they're basically making inappropriate and sexually oriented or gender motivated remarks. We're just in having conversation that's inappropriate in the earshot, right? On a consistent basis, yeah. yeah. I mean, the test that the law puts out is severe or pervasive, so not just one comment and not minor stuff, but really bad, inappropriate stuff that happens on a consistent basis in the workplace such that it's interfering with your ability to do your job. Now, that's, that's also uh, a, a thought that comes to mind is, who is actually liable for that? Is that? Does that fall on the owner of the company and the management? Um, obviously it does like business-wise, but legally, if you have an employee that is you know, consistently doing these inappropriate things and making the workplace toxic and make people feel you know, uh, like they don't wanna be there, um, who, who, who's accountable for that? Is it, is it the, the management or is it that particular person? And how far does it go? That's a good question, and it depends. Um, I, there's nothing. So listen, if you don't complain, if you don't report it, if the company doesn't know, yeah, there's nothing they can do, um, and that's what the law says basically. If it's a coworker who does it, but yeah. you don't report it, or the company, it's not so blatant. You really, and this is always harder to prove that it was so blatant that they knew or should have known. Right. But if you report it and then they don't do anything about it, and it's a coworker, then it's the company. Okay. Now, if it's a supervisor. And that supervisor That's, has the authority to basically hire or fire. It's a, it's a complicated test. But essentially, if it's a supervisor and that person has an ability to affect your job, um, then it's a little different. The company can be strictly liable if, if it's that person who's doing it, if it's like the owner of the company yeah. or a high-level manager. Um, when it's coworker to coworker, though, if the company doesn't know, they're not going to be liable for it. So, in order for the company to be responsible for what their lower level employees are doing, mm-hmm. they got to know about it and then basically choose not to investigate and resolve it. So, okay. Now, say for instance, uh, we have a situation where uh, harassment has been found, or or there's something you know has risen to the level where it's not legal. Uh, what happens? What, I mean, what do you get? You know, if you, if you were sexually harassed and uh, it's, it's found to be true and it's, so what do you, what, what happens? I mean, it's not like you're going you're gonna to sue to get your job back because obviously you don't want to work there anymore. Right. So what, 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 uh, what can somebody kind of expect from that? So what I tell my clients is these are tough cases because mm. you've had something bad happen to you, and it's quite possible that the other side's going to say, you know what, this didn't happen or yeah. didn't happen like you said. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that can be really hard to hear because it's not only that you've been victimized in this one way. Now but you're re-victimized, yeah. Right. So those are hard. But what you can expect is um, you're going to start by filing a charge of discrimination with the Department of Human Rights or the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. It's the federal agency. Mm-hmm. And they're going to investigate, and that's going to take some time. And in the meantime, if you're filing the lawsuit or if you're going to move forward pursuing the case, you're talking about damages, basically. You're talking about mm. what can be done to make me whole. Because right. like you said, the chances you're going to go back to that company if yeah. they fired you on top of everything else or if you quit are slim to none. Yeah. It's rare. Right. Um, so you're talking about damages, and there's different measures of that. One of them is lost wages, your back pay. Mm-hmm. How much money have you lost? Um, and you got to be looking for work, obviously. There's emotional distress damages, um, mm-hmm. and people kind of sneeze at that sometimes. But listen, if this is so bad that you are getting a lawyer involved, chances are it's affecting you emotionally. You're losing mm-hmm. sleep, you're gaining weight, or you're losing weight. Maybe you're losing your appetite or you're binge eating, you know, something like that. Sure, yeah. um, You're nauseous, you feel queasy when you go into work. Mm. Um, you, 
you're sort of have, you've become a little dysfunctional, like you're having a hard time doing your day-to-day -day tasks. Um, it's hard to prove that if you don't treat, and it's sort of a double-edged sword because, like, you lost your job. Who's got the money to go pay for somebody right. to to help them with right. this? Yeah. So um, helps if you've been telling your doctor about it along the way and kind of making notes that you're not mm -hmm. feeling right and it's related to work. Um, those are the measures of damages that we'll typically look at. Front pay too, like okay, maybe you lost your job and you get a new job, but it doesn't pay what the old one did right. and your opportunity for growth there is not as high. Yeah. So I'll look at what's the difference? How much less are you making now and how much more could you have expected to make had you stayed at your last employer? Yeah, and uh, another thing that comes up uh, that is inevitable with any of these things is okay. uh, your reputation. Right. Um, and that goes both ways though because um, even somebody that doesn't have any intention of doing something wrong uh, or, or, you know, has ever done anything wrong just because they see on your record of, you know, past employment or maybe contacting a, a, a reference or something like that and they see, hey, you know, this is, you know, this was a problem or whatever, you know. Um, You're talking about the harasser? Sure, sure. But I'm yeah. saying, I'm saying mm -hmm. like, you know, if you go into another, some, you know, a lot, chances are a lot of times when you, when you work and you move to another company, it's because you maybe have heard about it from somebody else. Sure. Maybe there's people that are kind of are connected, so the word gets around. Right, is what I'm saying. People are human, and people talk. So when you make a wave and you sue and you bring a harassment claim, sometimes um, people will be like, you know what? Maybe let's pass on this one. And yeah. and that sh that is illegal, right? Yeah. But, but how do you prove something like that? You can't, can you? No, it's really hard. And I've had that happen a lot of times where somebody leaves a job, yeah. goes somewhere else in the same industry while this is going on, and then out of the blue, it's like, you know what? Um, it just doesn't feel like a good fit anymore. And it's hard. I mean, yeah. it's really hard to prove. When it's settled, when these cases are settled, almost always there's a non-disclosure, non-disparagement provision sure. that both parties are agreeing not to talk about what happened, mm -hmm. not to trash each other, not to go around saying this person's a bum or this person's a this or that. But it's really hard to police everybody, and yeah, it's hard to prove that somebody breaks it. Um, one of the things I always try to negotiate is a neutral reference um, or, or positive. Usually it's pretty awkward to make it positive when both parties yeah, feel so badly. Yeah. But neutral, just for them to mm -hmm. tell another employer, listen, this person worked here. Our policy is only to say this, you know, these were the dates of employment and move on. It may not fix that. Yeah. And that is something that's always out there that, you know, we have to warn people that sometimes it can be hard to stay in that business. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I like to look at it from all different angles, you know. Um, I figure that... Uh, there are cases sometimes where maybe somebody is a little worked up about something and they think it's time, it's the best way is to go and involve other people where in reality, you're probably getting yourself into more trouble sometimes, uh, you know, just down the road consequence wise, besides the law, um, by, by making claims. And this, it goes back to the litigious culture that we kind of live in. Sure. Um, how do you, I guess, what would be your recommendation for somebody? Where is the level where you should get a lawyer involved? And where is the time when you should maybe just say, you know what, I don't get along with these people. I don't feel comfortable in this place. Maybe I should just leave, you know? That's a really good question. Um, I think it, a couple answers. So as to the latter, basically, when it's time to leave. Listen, yeah. not everything that happens is illegal. Yeah. And it's not illegal. It. It's not illegal for somebody to be rude to you at work. Like, just sometimes it's a clash of personalities. And I think it's important for all of us to kind of look at ourselves in the mirror. Yeah. Because I think, I think one of the things I do find is that, you know, sometimes these things can get ugly in the workplace, but sometimes we're responsible. Yeah. Um, and we got to think about, you know, 
if this keeps happening to you, not sexual harassment, nobody asks for that, right, but if you course. keep having conflict with everybody you work with everywhere you go, <laughs> then, then maybe think there's something yeah, that's sure, happening right. that the you're The common doing. denominator there, yeah. yeah. If, if everybody else seems to get along everywhere but you, then yeah, <laughs> maybe rethink. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you're not sure, it always helps to ask somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about where the digital age we live in is that as somebody once told me, you know, we all have these computers in our hands that have all the information in the world. You should write, yeah. And and you can always look up, this is what's happening to me. I'm sure that problem has happened to somebody, or there's a lawyer or some group that looks into these things, and maybe you mm. find out what's happening to you is not, or maybe you find out, you know what, what they're doing to me is really bad, and it never occurred to me that it's a problem, and so you, yeah. you can look for somebody to help you. I'd say... The answer is always try to get more information. And the other side of it with people being too litigious is, you know, as attorneys, it's our job to screen these things and to be selective um, and to make sure that if we are going to get involved, it's really necessary for us to get involved. It's not our job to solve every problem. Not every problem, you know, requires a lawyer and not every problem can be solved by a lawyer. Um, so I, I think that's the dual responsibilities there for attorneys and, and for everybody else involved. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, but when you do uh, have have some sort of recourse and, you know, uh, there's a need for a lawyer, you're the person to contact. I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, now, are there any other things before we move on? Are there sure. any other things that you guys do? Like, can you if, if you're not going to take a case on, have you ever referred people to like maybe see, um, you know, uh, like a, a doctor or something like that, you know, therapy. Yeah. Um, and do you, do you kind of point people in the right direction with that? I try to. I mean, we try to. You know, sometimes it's a problem where there really just is no solution. Yeah. You know, you got fired for stealing kind of thing. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. nothing illegal about them firing you for right. that. They should fire you. Like, I'm not getting involved in that. Mm-hmm. And we'll give them the names of some organizations. Like, maybe somebody else will see this differently. Feel free to reach out to them. Yeah. Um, but if it's not an employment law problem or it's a problem that does require somebody else's help, we'll try to point them in the direction that they might go. Like you might talk to somebody about this problem or that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of that and I can't offhand. Um, you know, like, okay, so I'll give you an example. So like maybe sure. somebody gets fired and they can't physically do the job anymore. They can't do any job anymore. Oh, like maybe they're yeah. physically disabled. Sure. I might point them to somebody who could help them claim legal disability at that point because they can't really work anymore. And mm, so yeah. maybe their problem I can't solve, but maybe somebody else can help them get something to stay on their feet, not lose their home, um, get whatever benefits they need so they can get healthy, get back on their feet and get Mm. working again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that That would be an example. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, no, very helpful. Definitely. And, um, so just a a little higher level now, um, in a, in a theoretical world where you had unlimited amount of money, you know, (laughs) just the sky's the limit. What would be, uh, if you could, if you could open or do anything with that amount of money, what would you be doing? Wow! Like, um, I mean, like blow your mind type <laughs> of stuff. Like, what would be your Elon Musk uh, ph- philanthropic thing that you would do? You know? Um. Wow. Um. That's a. <laughs> um, <laughs> I meant to put you on the spot. So. You mission accomplished. Um. <laughs> You know, I don't want to get political, but, uh, you know, climate change is a real problem, so I'd, I'd certainly try to fix that. And if, if I had unlimited resources to fix it would be one way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I would like to, wow, um, you know, I don't know, solve world hunger kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, fix that. Okay. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if I have like a product in mind or anything like that or necessarily something like that. I just think, um, you know, other than buy myself a, uh, you know, a real sharp suit or something like that, <laughs> you know, first and something nice for my wife. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if you've got that kind of money, it would be fun to kind of fix some seemingly unfixable problems with it. Yeah, everybody kind of has like an idea of some of the things that are important to them, you know, and um, I, I think it, it's it's crazy to think because we put ourselves in like the we're, we're framed in the resources that we have at the time right and to uh to really look outside of that and it, you know put yourself in the shoes of somebody that is like way way you know richer <laughs> than you and we're rich um it's hard to to kind of do it on the spot but i i wanted to ask you that i normally don't ask people that but that's okay um i wanted to ask you that Thanks because you, it at me. yeah well you said you know that you wanted to make a difference so i was curious to see what that yeah. might be i think those would be the two things off topic uh, off the top of my head that i would want yeah. to fix if, yeah. I could, if I could snap my fingers and like Thanos and right and, and yeah. fix something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, I mean, we we've gone for about an hour now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, this is uh, like I said, there's there's so many different avenues to, to we could go down there, but of course, um, very helpful stuff. I mean, if you could uh, leave the uh, audience with maybe some uh, resources or, or things that they can do to contact you or to help them or whatever. Help, uh, you know, help themselves or whatever. Uh, of course. So um, to reach me, um, our contact information is on our website, Favaro Gorman, F-A-V-A-R-O, uh, Gorman, G-O-R-M-A-N.com. Um, our contact information is there. My personal contact information is there. You can email me, call me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to meet with people, you know, to help them if they've got a problem. Um, if you do feel like there is something... You know, if you think you've been the victim of a wage and hour issue at work, you're not being paid properly, um, I can help you. There are a lot of other good lawyers at NELA, NELA, National Employment Lawyers Association, .org. Um, there's a lot of good lawyers who devote their careers to doing this. You can also go to the Department of Labor's websites for both the state of Illinois and the feds, um, or the federal government, I should say, and you just Google those. Um, they have fact sheets, so depending on the type of industry you're in, you might be able to look and kind of just do a quick look through and see if... If there's an exemption or if you can kind of tell based on what's out there, it is geared not to lawyers but to consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go to the Department of Human Rights or the EEOC's website and you just Google those um, if you think you've been the victim of discrimination or harassment in the workplace. Um, I think those are places I would start with that. And if you're an employer, um, there are a lot of other good attorneys as well who can help you out of a difficult situation. Yeah. Because sometimes you just make a mistake or sometimes you didn't and you get a bad apple of somebody that worked for you and mm. um, you know through no fault of your own you're kind of getting hit with something that you don't think is fair and, and everybody needs representation so yeah. those would be the resources I would point out well that's very helpful sure. and um, yeah so for everybody uh, you know, tuning in listening on wherever you're listening uh, audio or if you're watching this um, definitely check out the you know and in in, we'll put the links below so uh, you can you can check it out and uh, definitely speak up you know, if something something's going on, you know, uh, it, no, no, it's not going to change if nobody brings it up. Right. So. The the one thing I would warn people is a lot of clients come to me and say they've secretly recorded something, and I would tell you, Ooh. please do not do that. That is illegal in Illinois, so I don't want anybody to get in trouble trying to do that. Very good point. Yeah. So, sorry. <laughs> that All was right. a weird interjection there. But. No, no, very helpful. So. Very helpful. Yeah, great takeaways from everything. It's really a pleasure to have you on. Thank actually. you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun, and um, I had a good time. This is a great show you got, and um, thanks for having me. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks.